Welcome to episode 103 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I'm joined today with Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho! And Phil Fariska. Hey, everybody. And not Pete DeMeo. He is not in the room. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> is that your Pete uh-huh. DeMeo impression? Yes. How are the bees? <laughs> they're, they're dead. dead. <laughs> Still dead. dead. That's a perfect impression of Pete. Um, Pete was meant to be on the show today. He actually prepared the notes for this this episode. He was too busy murdering uh, bees. He, I, no, I think he was murdering clients. Or no, sorry, helping clients. That's what he was doing. He had some client stuff to take care of. That is obviously always our priority here at Fuel. So he's not going to make it on the show, but we're going to do hopefully do some justice to the topic today. That we're going to be talking about what, Melissa? Creating intelligent site audits intelligence intelligent ones but like he just threw that word in for like it's a little superfluous i mean it's basically audits right site audits it wouldn't be the same communication without intelligence so we're basically looking at things that you typically set and forget and you just assume is always going to work and we at fuel are in the habit of we're very process driven company so we're in the habit of scheduling times that we go back and reevaluate things that we did in the past just to make sure that the gremlins didn't creep in stuff didn't change you know we're big believers especially on the website side that it's not a you do a big redesign and then the website's done and you don't touch it it's a continual uh, evolution and because of that things can change things can get a little squirrely and we need to make sure that when it does get squirrely we can detect it quickly and adjust and fix it so we're going to give Five or six examples of some of the audits that we run on a regular basis, and uh, we'll probably touch on a few others that, that we do, but maybe not in so much depth. But just really give you an idea of the kind of things you should be thinking about, not just once, but every whether it's quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, uh, things you should be doing as part of your everyday routine. So that's the topic today. But uh, guys, I'm really nervous about this. We're going to do the news of ruse. And Pete's not here to do the jingle, so what? What? What should we do? Do you think not it? Yeah, not it. (laughs) People don't want me to do it. So you think we can look at the lovely Melissa Kavanaugh and her musical talents? All my non-singing musical talents. You have a degree in music. I do, not in singing though. Do you not have to do a solo as a part of your course? Not the vocal one when I'm an instrumental major. Okay, (laughs) I I just assumed that everyone has to sing. I mean, yes, I do have to sing, but you know. All right. Well, anyway, you want to you give it a stab? Uh, we're going to give it a stab. All right. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news or ruse. I think you did it well. Yeah. Maybe Pete, she can take over. Yeah, Pete, Pete needs to worry about his job. Man, we don't need him on the podcast anymore. Melissa can, can wail a good tune. That's awesome. So what news or ruse do we have today, ladies and gentlemen? Well, our first news or ruse is more of a complaint than an actual news or ruse, but... Hotelmarketing.com changed its design and it really grinds my gears or it burns Bunch my buttons. buttons. Gets you go. Yeah. You don't like the new design? I don't. Because they segmented it so much? It's, it, for lack of a better word, it's icky. I, I don't like it either. Um, I, I, not that it's fancy or neither was the old version, but uh, I, it's, it's too much. I would rather, I would rather have the old version where it was headlines and, and short little description yeah that was, that was 
pretty it up and actually redesign the thing use some yeah do it do a proper website yeah. or don't 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 go somewhere in between i agree with you guys so you know for those of you that don't follow hotelmarketing.com they they have one of the best daily email subscriptions in the industry related to hotel marketing news it's it's a it's always filled with great information and their website's always been very stripped down old school i mean black and white yeah it's it's white background black text blue links and in a couple of um advertisements on there but really it's it's kind of that craigslist principle right it 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 works it does exactly what it says on the tin it it functions the way you need it to function i don't want it with any extra fluffiness because all it does is it gives me the teaser of the article if i'm interested i can click out and read the article that that's all it needs to do so this new one they've got categories they've got more graphics on there they're trying to kind of move towards a skift or you know t news or something like that but without really going to the point of being a real grown-up I feel like it's too much scrolling. It's a lot of scrolling. And there's a lot of white space. I mean, just like... There there is. It's just weird. And it's weird. By organizing the content, it's made it harder to find things for me. Yes. You know, I preferred it when it was just a continual scroll of interesting stuff. You know, and on the newsletter, they've always said... uh, They always had the most popular article section. And that was always great content, right? But yeah it's it's harder to figure out so we we get picked up on this website from time to time when we put out a press release or we're doing something interesting um our episodes of the podcast sometimes get picked up on it right and um i always knew exactly where they were going to be so i look at it daily and just check hey are we on there today it's not as easy to find us anymore when when we are on there or we're buried further down which is you know disappointing may i also say that in their header their name is hotel marketing apostrophe com I, 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 I don't know completely? what that's about. Yeah, that's probably a technical. I don't know you're, why. Yes, you're right. Very weird. But uh, that uh, that's why I always liked it, because it was focused on the content, right? It wasn't trying to be f- fancy. It just knew exactly what it was, and it did its job perfectly well. It wasn't necessary. I don't know. Well, at least the popular section is still similar to what they had. Yeah. I would say, though, if you, if you don't follow hotelmarketing.com, you'd probably go there and be fine right because you're not you didn't see it previously but it is a site that is worth following for sure something changed rebel 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 yeah people hate change right yeah we're, we're complaining about so, it was that was that really your gripe who put that in the notes was that yours or pete's i'm gripe? pretty sure that was pete's gripe but we, yeah. i agree with it yeah yeah I, I i i agree with it i don't think i would have put it in the show notes to gripe about but it you know it we've talked about it though honorable mention <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's so still, it, still great information. So what? It's yeah, useful. And, and and if nothing else, if you've never heard of hotelmarketing.com before, you should go check it out now because now you've heard about it. It's great. And what else do we have? Um, so the next newsaru um, is an article from Triptease saying, "Are we on the verge of a parody nightmare?" Uh, basically, what they're pointing out here is Booking.Basic and how that's going to affect rate parity with uh, them showing lower rates than uh, the, the website themselves, the, the hotel's website itself. Yeah, so essentially Booking Basic is where they're, they're getting rates from other sources, not directly from the property. So if you're selling to a wholesaler and that wholesaler is reselling inventory to Booking.com, they're displaying that rate. Or in some cases, you know, Booking.com's gotten big into the vacation rental space recently. So one of the challenges in vacation rentals, especially when there's 
individual owners of each unit, one of the challenges is you could have someone managing the front desk and having 20 units in a 200 unit property and the other 180 units are being managed either by smaller groups or individuals which set their own price. So, you know, I could be the hotel XYZ in Daytona Beach and there could be seven different companies selling inventory out of that one property with all, all different rates. So I, my concern is, I get it, right? I get that there's a free marketplace. I get why booking.com has to do it because if they don't have the lowest available rate, sites like VRBO are gonna erode some of their market share. I get it. But this really is not good for the hoteliers in the, in the market. Well, that aren't doing a good job controlling their distribution. In Triptease's data, they're saying that Booking.com is undercutting the direct price 11.7% of the time. And when Booking.com undercuts that direct price, session conversion rate decreases by 14.3%. Sure makes a whole lot of sense to yeah. me. Yeah. We, we know people are shopping. We know they're jumping from OTAs to, to the website and back. Uh, you know, to be a little bit fair and a little critical of this article... Triptease is in the business of selling you tools to help you with rate right. parity, mm-hmm. right? So there's a definitely an agenda to to the article, which I, I think you need to take into consideration as you're reading it. If you're a good, well-run, well-optimized property and your revenue-optimizing team has their arms around your distribution strategy, you're not going to allow this to happen, right? Because any wholesalers that you negotiate with you're going to tell them they cannot resell that rate to, to booking.com. So I, is it as big a problem as it seems and, and they're making it? Probably not. But it is something that people need to be aware of and make sure they're preventing from happening with their property. If you're a good marketer, if you're a good rate manager, this is something that you can probably just rub your hands together a little bit and say, these, these com- competitors are screwed because it's going to erode their profitability pretty quickly. But get a grip, people, yeah. on your rates. Make sure there's parity. You should never, ever, ever, ever have transparent rates out there lower than on your own website. Should never happen. And you know, and, and I get the, the intent of a wholesaler is that they're meant to package, right? They they're not meant to show your rate on its own. They're meant to bundle it with airlines or cars or stuff, and. That so someone isn't sticking to the spirit of the agreement, and that's why I said you need to you need to be firm and fair with the partners that you partner with, and make sure that, that they're not taking advantage of the situation. And if you have a partner, a wholesaler that is uh, such a large chunk of your distribution uh, that you can't afford to piss them off, then you've got to really look at your distribution strategy and say, okay, I need more diversity here. I need to find more people that can put heads in, in my beds so that I'm not beholden to these one that this one person. And it doesn't matter if it's a wholesaler, it doesn't matter if it's Google, it doesn't matter if it's TripAdvisor, Expedia, Booking.com, doesn't matter if one of these channels controls too much of your inventory, then you lose the leverage and they gain it. And that's a bad situation. Preach. Yeah. Preach, brother, sister. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that burns my buttons more than hotelmarketing.com, for sure. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Poor rate management, yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into the topic at hand today. So we're, again, we're talking about auditing your website and your marketing in general uh, on a regular basis to make sure that stuff that worked once continues to work and annoys us. Some of this stuff 
if you have the right team behind you, you can automate and set up uh, flags that are going to send you an email or a text or something when it goes wrong. Right? Just like, for example, you know, you can use a Pingdom or a site like that, site like that or a service like that, so that when your website is getting slow or is not responding, your website's down, you can automatically get alerted, right? So you can take that same philosophy and apply it to some of these. But at the same time, tools don't always tell the full story. And, and there's no replacement for a good old-fashioned human being to go in there and actually run through the process just like a guest would. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Yeah? Yeah. So let's do number... So number one, does your booking engine actually work? That well, seems like a crazy thing to have to audit, doesn't it? Well, well, of course it does, Phil. Does it, though? When was the last time you went through with an actual credit card and went from start to finish of your booking process and saw how everything was functioning? Yeah, See, seeing the messaging, making sure there's no typos, making sure that the rates are breaking down correctly, making sure that the deposit amount is is correct and the policies are clearly defined. Let me tell you a real use case of when you don't do this, what can happen. Uh, many, not many years ago, a few years ago, we found one of our clients who we work with on a weekly basis uh, found that the conversion rate had just plummeted for a couple of weeks in a row and trying to figure out why that was the case. And we found out that all of a sudden, all the search results were coming back with no availability. Well, people can't book if there's no availability. Well, why was there no availability? Because rates hadn't been loaded for longer out oh, yeah. than and, like 30 days. Right, and that's wow. the key, right? It was because it, if you just went and tested with the default dates were on that site, it worked because the default dates were within the next week or so. But it was that they hadn't published rates out further. Right. I think it was towards the end of the year or something. And right. They hadn't done, yeah. Which which is crazy because people are booking twelve months out, or whatever. But yeah, you should in your routine when you're testing your booking engine, it shouldn't just be let me test the default dates or there's one set of dates. Always think about it. Okay, I want to test um, certain lengths of stay, certain times out, you know, certain packages, certain rooms. Do a few tests, have it documented, have a checklist that you go through regularly because just because your booking engine works for two adults for a two night stay starting this next Friday, that doesn't mean that it's going to work when you do a 13 night stay in July of next year. Or you've entered a promo code or mm -hmm. some random other thing that... Yeah, yeah. one thing that you should definitely be doing when you, when you audit this is have an outsider do it somebody who's not necessarily as familiar as you with your booking engine i mean you know how it works you're you've you've, you've gone through it have somebody who, who hasn't been through it go complete the booking process stand over their shoulder watch them and then you're going to catch some hiccups i'm going to catch stuff that creates friction in the process and friction that you could probably eliminate so it's it's helpful when you when you have a extra set of eyes on it yeah and you can do that you know and i think we're kind of blending a couple of things here because i think when you're doing unit testing it can just be a procedural checklist that anyone can do as long as they follow the steps but the, the other side of testing is it, um, it it shines a light on things you weren't considering when you designed the test and, and that's a perfect example what we do here a lot is use you know virtual versions of that in, with like usertesting.com sites like that but you know, a lot of times I will go have my wife, who's not a technical person, um, or her family, who are the types of 
guests that a lot of our clients are, are looking to, to get to book, I'll have them go test something and give me their feedback because it's you know real time and I can get context to how they're thinking and things like that. But that's a good tip, Philip. All right. I'm two, 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 two. Well, this goes back to our news news. Are your rates beating the OTAs? I what? We, I know. Should imagine you, that. Should you have a tool? And, and to be fair to Triptease, I kind of banged on them a little bit a minute ago because that's the product they sell is their rate parity dungeon. And, you know, they have a widget on the booking engine that shows when it's out of parity or can actually automatically manipulate the rates to show rates. That's a decent tool. You know, I, I think there are others out there that do it. Some booking engines have that built in automatically. But having tools to, to be able to actually look at your rate parity, I think it is critical. Um, but doing it manually as well is never a bad idea. And, and that's something that, you know, the first one, I think you could do weekly or monthly, the booking right. engine, right? I don't think that's a daily need. Um, this needs to be more. This needs to be multiple times a week, no question. And you again, you need to be testing for multiple date ranges, mm-hmm. multiple scenarios, comparing to multiple channels. And I may be speaking out of turn here, but isn't it possible that the OTAs can, even though you're feeding them a rate, they can sort of undercut that rate well, and show? Yeah, well, you, you can allow that or disallow that, and you can offer them a, a, a package rate again so they can bundle it with, with other things. And sometimes they will elect to uh, re- reduce their margin to right. allow a lower rate. That, that does happen from time time usually when you call them out they're like oh that was an accident my bad sorry what you gonna do about it was it though yeah a likely story a likely story sir uh so yeah i I definitely think rate parity again we're beating a dead horse here but rate parity is is probably the single biggest obstacle to driving direct bookings to your website it's almost impossible to drive more direct bookings reduce your reliance on otas if you don't have rate parity. Gotta have it. Yeah. Gotta have it. You can overcome a lot of other obstacles, but that's just one that's insurmountable. There's not a person in this world that's like, huh, that's $20 cheaper on Expedia. Let me book with you anyway, just because I feel good. You know, it's just not Not how humans are. So, all right. Number three. Number three, 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 three. So do your forms do what you expect? This is a big one, mm-hmm. and it's one that we've caught situations with clients where things have gone wonky, you know. And it's it's easy. It right? Happens a lot. Yeah, you have a, a contact change. form, right? You have a contact form. You have a newsletter form. Doesn't matter what it, what it is. Any any time a guest can enter some kind of data, um, over time you you probably are going to change something on the page that that form's on. You know, you might add. It might be in the footer and you might add some javascript somewhere on that page that creates a conflict you might add a field that you wanted to collect oh you know what it would be cool if we had the zip code that we didn't collect to start with someone adds that field to that form and then test the, the form submits but they don't again goes back to what you were saying earlier test it all the way through the process right and make sure it's going into the right database wherever it's being stored that it's feeding that it's updating that all the it's things collecting are, all the yes. right data um I, I think of the scenarios that can happen like what what happens what do you want to happen what's the business logic if that guest is already registered like and, and they put in new information do you want it to overwrite do you want it to replace 
versus uh, duplicate or, or append right. or, yeah. you know, you have to define the business logic and then make sure that the code is working the way you want it to work. And a lot of times it doesn't. Another one is what if, what if someone's unsubscribed from your newsletter and then this, they try to subscribe on your website again? Most email CRM platforms by default will not resubscribe someone when you try to resubmit the right. same person. That's not the default behavior. So sometimes you have to create custom code or your developers have to create custom code to say, okay, if this person exists in the database and they're unsubscribed, resubscribe them when they try to sign up again. That's and just just quick note for testing. Um, you, you need to make sure that all this data is being sent to the proper people. So go ahead, fill out those forms, um, use, use real content, a real email address, um, Make sure that the person submitting the form is getting an uh, email that's saying form was submitted. Make sure the person that's supposed to be receiving the information on your end is receiving the information. Yeah, this is where I'm a, a big fan of documentation. Like having, when you have a process that's complex in, in, the, in terms of a lot of things happen, right? So when a form is submitted, typically the data is captured somehow uh, on the website, probably going to some third party thing that you happen to be integrated with. Um, you're probably using some kind of third-party plugin if you're using, say, WordPress. Uh, you're, you're right in that a lot of forms you want to notify someone on property what's going on. So there's all these kind of moving parts of which something can go wrong in each of them, especially where there's integration involved. Uh, it could take one little thing that's changing that's going to just wonk up everything, right? So doesn't necessarily have to be in the process itself either. It could be something else on the page. Like I said earlier, a JavaScript conflict, something like that, that just breaks the validation on the, on the email, something like that. And yeah. without further ado, I have to say, is your tracking working? Well, could I finish the no. email one first? No, that's what I'm saying. On Oh, the tracking of, on the thing. Sorry, yes. yeah, yeah, I thought you were jumping to the next one. No. So, yeah, do, do you want to track the metrics you're exactly right uh, is that a success event in google analytics yeah always be tracking always be tracking slash testing yeah i, I think this is one of those things where i think people just they don't think about it once it's set up right they just it doesn't enter their head they, they're sending emails through their crm but they're not really looking at it other than saying is my is my list size going up so one of the things that I've seen can happen is a form gets set up, it gets tested, and they don't think about it again. But there's certain th form fields that require, say, a specific format, right? So say right. phone number, for example. Some people will program a, a phone number form field to require hyphens. Some will say they cannot have hyphens. Right. You know, so... You want to when you when you do these tests, you want to try to really break the form. Try to put in invalid data into the fields and see what happens. And also denoting what's required and what's not required, and if it is oh, yeah. required, oh, that drives me yeah. nuts. It does, and really, you know, be be conscious about what you're requiring, and really ask yourself, should I require this? Is this necessary? Am I actually going to use this information? Because um, we know every piece of information that you're asking that doesn't need to be there is another deterrent from the person right it's completing. more friction that is going to prevent some people from completing the process every form field means less emails captured right it's just a fact and the other piece of this is 
considering you know the regulations that have come in over the last year with GDPR and the other regulations that come in right. in the U.S. Uh, what what data are you capturing? Are you still using the data? Uh, is it getting stored somewhere? Are you storing it beyond the time that you need to store it? And, and we've said this a lot on the show before. Are you really thinking this of this data as your guest's data or your data? You know, because right. if you think about it as yours, you treat it very differently than if you say, I have, I have the privilege and the permission to borrow and use the guest data in an appropriate way that they've allowed me to do. And you can reconsider that every time you come back and check the forms. I think this one's probably one you don't have to check as frequently. I think quarterly is probably an appropriate cadence yep. for checking this Agreed. kind of a thing. Or if you see a month to month or year over year significant fall off in your newsletter signups or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely Should go always back and let check your data. Your yeah. Your data is always a good indicator of something going wonky and, you know, people that aren't looking at data in context and comparing month to month and year over year, I think that's where they get in trouble. Right. Yeah. All right. Number four, 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 four. Are your email triggers triggering? That's always a good one. Because yes. I got a triggered email just yesterday that was a cancellation notice that was missing all kinds of cancellation information. Did you actually cancel something? Yes. Okay, but it was just a terrible email? The confirmation number was just a blank in the um, subject line, and then it had this attachment that just literally said nothing. It was the a blank, blank attachment. Hmm. Yeah, it was. Someone's not looked at that. We had a, a client recently that we uh, was switching to our CRM platform, uh, a new system we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and... Uh, they did not know what system was triggering their pre-arrival emails. Oh, boy. They, they didn't know. It wasn't in. They were using Cdirect from uh, TravelClick. It wasn't in there. Um, we, we finally figured out that it was hard-coded in the PMS. Wow. That was triggering the pre-arrival emails. Hmm. Yeah, no one had looked at it for years. It had information that was so outdated, it was unbelievable. And this is a nice high-end luxury resort. No one had looked at it. So I think when we, we're talking about auditing that triggered emails are working, part of that is that the content that is contained within it is the correct content and the most valuable content that, that it should be at that point. You know, But we also i have had other clients that are using systems where they think that a post-day survey is going out, but no one raised the flag and said, you know what, we haven't seen a survey in two months. Hmm. Or that they think that um, anniversary emails are going out where you know, 30 days prior to when they booked the previous year, they're getting an automatic email that says, come book again and here are your dates from last year. They, they just assume it's going out and it doesn't work. So again, check this all is, the things. you need to check it and you need to document it. You need to make sure that everyone in the team knows what should be happening, where, how it's happening so that you can audit this on a regular basis. Triggered emails are some of the most powerful automated marketing tactics you can deploy. But they're not set it and forget it. They're not. You can never forget it. It is set it, but it's not forget it. Right. Right. It's, it's less work in that you're not manually touching it. But if as soon as you move on to the next thing and just assume it's always going to work, you're going to run into trouble. And how often would you suggest that this is audited? 
You know, th this one I think is is probably somewhere in between the rates and the emails are getting stored in the right place. I think it's, you know, it's a direct revenue generator if it's done right, especially if you're doing say cart abandonment things like that. It also is a, a direct reflection on your your brand. You know, in the case of Melissa, where she gets a cancellation email that's all wonky, that that's not good. You know, I'm not sure why you cancel, but you know, that's eroding. That's eroding your relationship. I'll tell you why she canceled. Because she did a test booking, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. She was doing a different kind of audit, and she caught that. That's funny. Uh, but no, uh, it, it, and again, when you're looking at these uh, triggered emails, don't look at it from the perspective of you're the marketer or the operator of this property. Always look at it from the perspective of the guest is this something this is a touch point that can either improve the relationship or detract from the relationship right. that you have with that guest and are you maximizing that opportunity every single touch point are you answering the questions that that guest might have you know one of the most overlooked ones is the welcome email when someone signs up for an, for an email with with you for the first time they've never stayed with you they've been to your website once they're probably shopping around what an opportunity to, you know, wine and dine and date them a little bit to make them want to come back. Yeah, that's another one that people definitely set and forget. And you're not yeah. updating that information about what's happening around right. your property. And it says new rooms updated five years ago. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. You guys ready to move on? Number five. five, 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 five. Is your content still relevant? This is a good one. We've talked about bits and pieces of this throughout multiple episodes, especially the photography one. Oh, I think definitely. we've picked on the gym, the 1985 gym with the spandex and hairbands <laughs> <laughs> multiple uh, times. This is important from, number one, I would say, the SEO perspective and the fresh content. Um, but number two, it's, it's usability. If you just have old content throughout your site that is mentioning old dates, um, it's it's just not useful to your users anymore. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing you want to consider is how how consumers access the content is continues to evolve. If you wrote an article a year, I'd say three years ago, four years ago, chances are the majority of people were seeing that on a desktop. Now, the majority of people are not seeing that on a desktop. The majority are probably seeing it on a mobile device. And as we move forward into the next couple of years, the majority of people will be accessing it on a mobile device having found it through some kind of voice search device, right? Or, or they'll, some kind of screen through some kind of voice search. So considerations should be how does this look? And we'll, we'll talk about mobile versus desktop in a second. I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But how, how does this look in context to the person that I'm trying to help with the con content? I think that's something that's often overlooked. They write an article it's got the basic check marks in it um but but think about it from the perspective of if someone is finding you from voice search now chances are it's more of a conversational query they're probably trying to find out the answer to a specific question so a, an article that once upon a time was five big paragraphs may be better today broken now into faqs and bullet points right i'll, I'll probably end up doing an episode on capturing featured snippets mm -hmm. um soon here but that's that's another one so if, when you're looking at your content and updating it 
find out if the the query you're targeting is driving uh, a featured snippet in a search result and you might need to update your content uh, and and try to take over that featured snippet yourself if you don't have it yeah and it, it's typically not hospital like hotel related keywords right. but we do see attraction on area information keywords answers about a location um, events we'll see featured snippets events is one of the biggest ones the biggest offenders of this uh, people don't update their they write a blog post about a specific event i can't tell you how many times i've come across uh whatever festival 2016 blog post yep. and it's you know 2018 2019 you know that it's an annual event yeah. go ahead and update that content yeah so that's something I, I think you should do at least an annual content audit and when, in conjunction with your content calendar keep right? your content calendar up to date understand what kind of content you have on your site if you're if you're talking about something that changes year to year um, make sure you set yourself a reminder to update that prior to yeah. the event coming back yeah that, that's why I like the, the folks that I know that do it the best they they have a physical you know, mapping of every piece of content that's on their website they they have attributes associated with it such as the date it was originally created the date it was last updated and the date that it should be reviewed again. So that they're always organized from a spreadsheet in terms of what they should do. The challenge with building a content strategy and a content calendar is always the first year. Right, That's the hardest thing because you're producing a ton of content. Once For a hotel, once you've pr produced a lot of content that first year, a lot of your strategy shifts to refreshing and improving the content you already have. Events being a great example. Some people make the mistake of they'll build the 2016 version of the event and then 2017 comes along, they create a new page, lose right. all the equity in the old one, then they create a 2018 and they never go back and clean up. So now when someone searches for that event, they're very confused. So a much better approach would be to have that on your content calendar to say, uh, you know, at the appropriate time prior to the event each year, I'm going to refresh it with all the, <clears throat> the new information. And that could be 30 days after the event finished the previous year so that it's, right. you know, it's always fresh. But that's on your calendar. You know you're going to go in. Instead of creating a new version of the article, go in and update the old one, change the title, change the name, keep the URL. And you're, you're going to not only help the guest, but you're also going to gain more search engine traction because over the years, that one article gets more authority as more people link to it, as it becomes, um, you know, the age of the page is, is greater. A lot of those signals that Google likes. All right. Okay. Number six. So Stuart touched on this one a second ago. Is your mobile experience what your guests demand? So we... We know that most people, when they're reviewing their websites, are reviewing it on a desktop. Yeah, that's important, but understand that most people are visiting on their phone now. We've already passed that mobile tipping point. We're darn near passing a second mobile tipping point. Some are already past it. Um, the mobile experience is increasingly important. Uh, this is something you need to be checking regularly. Yeah, and, and that it should be how you default to checking. I think right. that's that's the point, right? Because... It, it's it's tough. I get it. You're sitting in front of your desk doing your work. You you make a change to the website, probably on your laptop slash desktop, but it's certainly a big big screen. You're not editing content, posting a blog from your mobile phone. So it it is cumbersome. It is a pain in the butt to then pull out your phone, go to the site, and and actually look at it the way most consumers are. And I would highly recommend every the five steps we covered prior. Go back and do the same thing on a mobile device. Oh, 100%. That should yeah. be where you do it 
and then do it on desktop. Yep. And I physically mean take out your phone. Don't just shrink down your desktop no, no, no. browser Don't into use a some mobile kind of no. tool. You've got to do it on your phone where you yeah. can actually touch and scroll and click and do, do all it the from, things. Do it on an iPhone. Do it on an Android device. It, yeah. It's important. Yeah. Uh, I, so I just got back from the HSMAI um, Digital Strategy Conference in New York, and I spoke uh, about AI and voice search. But the, to begin, at the beginning of my presentation, because it was to the same group of resorts that I presented last year, last year I presented on the second mobile tipping point and how close we were to it. And my prediction last year was January, and this was from you, your data, Melissa, that you provided, January 2019 was going to be when a, a good chunk of our clients were hitting that second mobile tipping point. And again, refresher, First mobile tipping point, most of our clients hit, which is traffic. Second is bookings. Third is revenue, right? Those are the three right. tipping points. So we thought by January 2019, in that way distant future, we were going to hit that, that second mobile tipping point. Well, I had to stand up in front of these hundreds of resorts and say, guess what, guys? I was actually wrong. It wasn't January 2019. Guess what? It was September 2018. We hit it faster than we thought we would. Melissa Damas over here. I know. So we, we have... Um, dozens of clients now that get more, not just traffic, but more bookings on a mobile phone than they do on a desktop We're computer. starting to see now more and, revenue. And I was saying, yeah, I, I told him that. I said, we got three clients that the last two months have hit the third tipping point. That's like three years ahead of where we thought it was going to be. And uh, you could debate it, right? There, there are certainly factors that contribute to this. Lower ADR properties, right. repeat destinations, tend to have higher and a lot of our clients are lower ADR repeat destination kind of clients those are the ones that we've seen leading this curve but it will not be long until the majority of all bookings and all revenue for all hotels are going to be from some kind of non-traditional device and it might be mobile it might be a voice activated speaker it might be something else but it is it's there's no question in my mind that desktops being the dominant booking tool is not going to be the, the long-term reality. There's no question in my mind that that's not going to be the case. So for you not to be considering how your consumers are booking today is, is a big mistake. And um, I'm going to credit Tim Peter with this. I said this at the, the talk before, but this is, this is something he, he told me a couple of weeks ago, and I agree with it 100%. We get so hung up on where we are right now related to to marketing right so we went from a traditional to a digital world and everyone was like digital first digital first switch your budget from traditional to digital and then with and there's been multiple of these but i'll highlight some of the big ones then we have been probably for the last 10 years it's been the mobile the mobile the year of mobile and everything should be mobile first for the last 10 years right that's what people have been saying really since the iphone hit mass right. penetration now people are beginning to hear i'm hearing a lot of it's a voice voice first world this is how we're going we're going screenless it's voice first and i i think it's missing the point and, and, and tim kind of pointed this out to me i've always thought this way but i never really articulated it the way he does he says it's always been a guest first world and it always will be a guest first world we just have to continue to ad adapt to the behavior and the preference of the guest it just so happened that when we went to a digital first marketing world, it was because people 
were shifting their attention from traditional media to online media. It just so happened that when we went mobile first, that consumers, I guess, were shifting from desktop to mobile devices, right? Now they're shifting to voice. It doesn't mean that we're changing our approach. We're always going to be targeting the consumer where they are. So it might be voice search. It might be screenless. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter as long as we're in touch with what the client's preference is. And if you're curious about what that is, start following what Google's already asking you to do because they seem to be right there on the curve of when things are going to happen. They're, they're starting to push when they pushed mobile first. It, they, they meant it. And that's around the same time most people were doing that, I think. Right. And, and you know, that's the stat that floats around is 20% of all searches are voice searches today. <coughs> right? That's Google's stat. It's been around for two or three years. Hasn't changed. I don't know if that's because no one else has put out a new study or because everyone copies each other's data. I don't know. I, I read a stat last week from Google that said they predict by the end of 2020, so almost two years from now, it could be 50% of all searches are voice searches. Well, that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why they're saying they adopted, at first they, they did not care about structured data so much. Now they're saying, please use structured data. Please right. use all the structured data you can. And right. what we're talking about, schema markup, stuff like that, that helps them answer those voice-related queries. Which it has, we have to go structure because of the conversational nature of voice search. It, it, you have to have an object-oriented semantic web for that to work properly so yeah. that it knows what content is related to what pay attention to what what google's looking forward to and and that's likely yeah. where the consumer's going as well yeah it, follow their blogs they, they tell you everything you need to know about how, how to do it for sure all right so that was our list we had six now we have some bonus for you. We're yeah, gonna cover these real quick. Those are six big ones, but there's some here that that are equally, if not more, important. I think in this. I think these are a little more off-siteness. Kind well, of some tips. of them are, but I mean, ADA compliance, you know, is a great one. It's something that a lot of people are paying a lot of money for. Now, you know, there's lawsuits coming out left and right. We've had a, a handful of clients that have been slapped with some kind of um, complaint. And, and not always because the site itself isn't ADA compliant, but they maybe aren't communicating um, how accessible the property itself is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that's often overlooked when you're trying to be ADA compliant is you follow the um, WCAG 2.0 AA standards, right? And it's, it's, it's about um, the contrast of colors and the ability for screen readers and, and things like that, right? It's, it's how can uh, someone with a disability Technically, technically use, use the website, right? right? And, and so that you're not discriminating against them. But if you do all that stuff and you pass some kind of um, tester, like WAVE or something like that, ADA compliance tester, even if you you pass that, if you don't have content on your website that's easily accessible that says, here's what we do to accommodate um, people with disabilities, here's our accessible rooms, here's our policies related to certain things. If you don't have that content, then you're still discriminating because that guest can't make a decision about whether or not they can stay with you. And there are lawyers that are out there digging for this stuff. Yeah, that, that we've had that specific complaint where it was the, the site itself was ADA compliant, but they didn't have this, this accessibility page that was easy to access with up-to-date information. They did not have that content, and that was what the complaint was. So 
you've got to be aware of this stuff it 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 always evolves right what what is good when you do your ada compliance might not be you know department of justice could come out and pass some new legislation that changes that they they haven't thus far they've stayed on the fence but could easily change tomorrow so you've always got to make sure you know your counsel is up to date on the stuff that you're um, consulting them on anything you should be changing but you're also going back and reevaluating ada especially is tricky because Ask your site that you just created could be ADA compliant today, follow all the WCAG standards, and then you have an intern that just took a photo that you asked them to put on the homepage of your website, and they don't put an alt tag on that image, right? Automatically, you're no longer ADA compliant because right. of that one yep. little mistake. And it goes beyond that because that one image, there could be a lot of challenges with that image. That image, you might not have the rights to that image. That opens you up for liability. That image might be 20 gigs large because they didn't reduce the size before they updated it. Now your site's slow, which means that it's going to impact your your search engine ranking. It's going to affect your quality score in your Google ads, which is going to increase your CPC, which is going to decrease your ROI. Right. There's a lot of factors. So when we're saying audit stuff, this is the reason why, because one little tiny thing can have vast ramifications throughout your organization. Yeah. Speaking of Google ads, that's another thing you should be auditing, auditing, auditing your ad copy, auditing your bids, auditing the keywords you're running on. Yep. I mean, that's that's kind of basic testing, but we see it all the time and people run the same ads. I just ran across one. People are running the same ad since May, 2017. Yeah. And they're using the old ad formats. It's, it's yeah. Google's constantly coming out with new tools for us to use, use it. Right. So if, if you had an ad that you created in 2017, there's so many more opportunities today than there were back then, right? You, yeah. you have multiple headlines longer headlines the machine learning responsive search right. ads you're google not will test stuff of. for you there's so many opportunities that one just because you said it and forget it and and bids another one i mean you have new competitors entering the market and you're probably being outbid now you might not be showing in the top four which means you're not being seen so that's another thing that needs to be audited regularly mm-hmm. and another marketing service is seo um Constantly be looking at your Google Search Console. See if you have any new errors popping up, any new, any new warnings. Um, if your site's unhealthy, you'll find out there. Yeah. If you're paying tens of thousands of dollars right now to some fancy pants SEO firm, I, I would suggest you stop doing that. Because really, Google, I think you should have an expert that's overseeing your SEO, right? But it's a lot easier today to do the right things one because google tells you best practices they're Mm -hmm. always blogging about here are the things we want you to do if you do the things google wants you to do you tend to do really well but then if you screw something up guess what search console tends to tell you now when you screwed something up if there's there's... 404s or broken links or whatever it is yeah i think i mean the the search console is great at it and there are other tools out there that provide even more information, which we find extremely necessary. Mm-hmm. We're constantly auditing everything you can possibly think of when it comes to your, to your SEO and, and right competitors and stuff it, right? like that. Yeah, Search Console so, is going to show you kind of it, it's like the vital errors, signs yeah. of your website, right? Yeah, you can go a lot more in depth. But if you're a single property, your small hotel, boutique. I, th- I think you're going to be doing just fine in search engines if you just 
fix the errors that Google tells you to fix. Mm -hmm. You follow the best practices Google tells you to follow. And most importantly, you create great content that is accessible really cleanly and easily on a mobile device. And we, and we say search console and, and while that is one tool, we're talking the structured data testers, yeah, yeah. talking page speed insights. They provide all these free tools. They're extremely useful. Use them to audit your site. Yeah, for sure. What else we got? Oh, analytics. <laughs> oh, we almost forgot. Because that's what most people do. They they forget. Mm -hmm. Don't forget. Audit yeah. it. Yeah, and, and that's not just that your analytics works on your site, but it's also that the campaigns you're running everywhere on the internet are properly tagged Tracked. so that you're tracking, right? So many times I've seen uh, clients that have an advertising agreement with say a local CVB or DMO or, or a portal site and they'll send updated links to them and they forget to Happens include the, the, the campaign IDs and they just lost visibility into an insight into the data that they could potentially be getting. And the problem is once you have lost that click, you, there's no way to regain that information. Nope. So you, you need a process in place to make sure that when a link is provided to someone, it always has the appropriate campaign ID that is well organized. Uh, make sure that you have a rule book, how you, when you create the campaigns, that they're, they're structured in a way that is, is predictable clean. and clean and understandable. Hey, and, we have a blog organized. post about that. You sure do. We can link to that in the um, show notes. It gets a ton of traffic too. Do you remember everything you say? I'm going to link to that in the show notes. I'd say 80% of the time, <laughs> maybe. Just checking. Yeah. I'm auditing yeah. you, Stuart. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, because I always listen back to the podcast and, um, you know, I, I'll scan it as I edit it. And then I usually when I'm running, it'll just come on in, in my regular feed. So there's there's been at least a handful of times when... I've been running be, oh man, I forgot to do that. And when I got home, I've had to add the link that I said. So it usually eventually ends up in there, but you know, not always. I've never had anyone complain that, hey, you said at minute 27 of episode 84 that you'd link to this and it, it didn't happen. Oh, I have some something new to work on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, last, last thing in our little bonus notes here is check and audit your privacy and cookie policies. GDPR. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but Google is getting slapped with some GDPR lawsuit from France right now. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't see that. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. Like forty-seven million, I think, wow. was the was the the claim, and it was related to um, people opting into retargeting ads. I think is what it was. Some, something to do with that. Um, I'd, I'd skimmed the article on the on the plane on the way back, but. Maybe that can be a news room next week. But it, it, just like when we talked about they wanted a data breach um, uh, poster boy and they got it with Marriott Starworth, right. mm -hmm. I think they've got one in terms of the policy side now with Google. It's going to get Yikes. a lot of... And, and again, it's an American company, but they happen to have you know operations in Europe. So, yeah, could could be very interesting and europe just loves to pick on google anyway yeah. so well google is fighting it they're counterclaiming against it because they the, the the argument is or the complaint is that they didn't clearly define what they were tracking so this wasn't a data breach like marriott was yeah this is just that they're not following the regulation in terms of disclosure up front hmm. and google's response is we've made it very clear to people 
what is tracking, what is being tracked. And there's nothing we could do that would materially impact um, whether or not people know. It's like, not their know. fault you didn't read their 72-page agreement. Well, that, that's, see, that's some of the gray area in GDPR, right, is that uh, it, it, it's intentionally left vague to interpretation. They say things that, that are non-clarative, so like uh, you need to inform people what you're, you're doing in a manner that is easily easy to understand. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah, you but know? good luck getting your legal team to give something to well, someone that's easy to understand. I right. Mean, that's, they're asking two different things, essentially. Right. It's an oxymoron. Yeah. yeah. And you saw this in when uh, Zuckerberg was, was in the Senate hearings. I mean, he, he kind of pushed back on some of that when people were saying, well, you need to tell people what you're doing. It's like, well, it's, it's in a bulleted list underneath where they're signing up. What what else can I do, you know? Yeah. It's not his fault people aren't reading. Mm-mm. No, I, I don't have ever really are, fully read the privacy policy funny. of something I've signed up for. Watching his Senate hearings was funny to me. I enjoyed it. It was it was great. He he did a much better job than I think I would have done of staying calm and respectful to those people that Even clearly didn't like understand. He did. He clearly didn't understand. Oh, the Senate clearly didn't understand what the internet was or what Facebook was. Clearly, and yeah. it was that's why it was funny. Yeah, and he he did a really good job not being condescending, being respectful. So. All right, breaking out of that, I think just wrapping it up. Audit all of your stuff. Yeah. Make a list and check it twice. Don't set it and forget it. If there's anything in your marketing that you do that you are proud of the fact that you set it and forget it, then I, I think you need to reevaluate your approach to marketing. Because at the end of the day, we want to treat every guest as an individual. And every individual has the risk of running into one of these roadblocks that we talked about today. And the only way to really truly prevent that, prevent a negative experience from from a guest, is to audit things on a regular basis. Now, there isn't a golden rule. It's not that you need to do certain things quarterly or annually or weekly. Find what's good for you. You know how often you're changing your website is going to dictate some of that itself. But find find something that's appropriate given your level of resources, your level of expertise, in, in the the complexity of the product that you're pushing out there. But definitely make sure you're consciously doing it. And, and when you decide you're going to do it, document it, have a process, communicate that process to everyone involved. And it, honestly, it could it could materially make a huge difference to your bottom line at the end of the year. Because just think about if your booking engine's down for a week or you're not tracking your campaigns, you don't know how to spend <laughs> your, your money marketing dollars next year or you're not collecting emails from that person that could have ended up being you know, someone that stays with you seven times in the next seven years. So every one of these things is an opportunity to, to stop you losing money. And I think it's important to note, create a process document for this. I know you mentioned that. But once you have a process document, have a couple other people go through this process. They might uncover new things that the last yeah. person might not have. Don't make it the same person every, yeah. you know, week or month or however. For sure. Often. And it, it should be an, a flexible, fluid, organic process that is always changing because what what you're checking needs to change and then the last thing i would say is once you have the process make sure it's scheduled make sure it's on the calendar and not just one person's calendar that you're relying on that you might they might be turnover and then people forget that you know john was the guy that did the audits and he left seven years ago and no one replaced it you know make sure it's on multiple people's calendar and it's assigned out so that you know who's responsible for it as well. 
All right. Yeah. So hopefully we stop people from breaking all their stuff over the next 12 months. That's good. And they're not going to stumble upon errors. That's the worst in the world when you just walk into something and you're like, oh, man. What when in, was that broken? When did that yeah. happen? And you have to start tracking back. Oh, John, oh. before he left, made a change to that form field seven years ago. <laughs> John's ruining everything. Yeah. John was the one that was meant to be testing it, and he's the one that created the problem in the first place. You need to get rid of John. Well, he already left, so I guess you can't get rid of him again. So there we have it. I, I did want to um, go over the my thoughts and insights on the HSMAI Digital Strategy Conference, but I think we've run kind of long, so we might have to... We also have a listener question. Do we want to table that? Yeah. Uh, no, let's knock that one out quick. All right. We have a listener question. woo We just got a question. We just got a question. You're not going to join me? We're no. all meant to do this. Uh-uh. We just got a question. I wonder who it's from. <laughs> Mark on Twitter asks... Hey, fuel travel. Been looking around on information on how much occupancy in ADR decrease or increase during a hotel renovation, and have not found anything useful from the revenue manager's point of view. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I, I've asked a lot of people in the industry over the last few weeks since we got this question if anyone had any data on this subject, and I can't find anyone that does. No one's done case studies. No one has you know, specific rule of thumb options. Uh, I've gotten some good insight and and some good advice. I think it it depends, I think is the question, is the answer in terms of how you're going to do the renovation. You know, if you're going to isolate it, uh, we got one client right now that's kind of doing it floor by floor and they're going to gradually do more floors over time, but they're doing it from top to bottom. So they're you know, it's not impacting as many people. And as they come lower, they'll close more floors. And, you know, over time, they're going to have very limited inventory at, at one point, but they're doing it in a way that isn't going to negatively impact them too much in the short term. But what they're also doing, and what I would recommend to anyone that's going to go for a, re- a renovation, if you can do it in a way that's non-disruptive to the guests that are coming, the the I guess the easy... Or, or the thing that some people would want to do is tempting to is lower ADR because you don't want to have disgruntled guests. But it doesn't matter whether the ADR is what it was or ten dollars less. If you're inconveniencing them, if there's noise, they're going to be pissed anyway. It doesn't matter that you drop the rate. That it's not the factor that bothers them, right? So, I think a better strategy is to actually increase the rate prior to the renovation, to a point that you reduce demand you reduce the occupancy, right? So you can run at a lower occupancy. You've got fewer debt guests that you have to deal with, but you can maintain some revenue, more revenue because of the higher ADR. And what you might actually find out, someone was telling me about a property in Hawaii that tried to do this, a big luxury property in Hawaii that tried to increase their ADR to try to reduce demand and they kept increasing and demand didn't slow down and they kept staying at 100% occupancy and they Just had to keep, crazy. keep delaying the renovation, right? And... So the revenue managers are all excited and saying, look at us, we're getting more ADRs, it's great, our profit margins are going through the roof. The owners came back and said, no, you suck. You've been <laughs> underpricing our property for how long? We could have had this ADR the whole time and you haven't been pushing it. So I think you need to be careful there. But my point is, if you increase ADR, market conditions tend to shift to where you know there's going to be lower demand. You're going to have lower occupancy. You can deal with fewer guests while you're doing the renovation. Do it floor by floor. Try to minimize any distraction. If it, if there is going to be distraction, 
I think it's critical that you set expectations up front. So if you if, if it's something that's going to be loud and noisy and dirty and there's going to be a construction zone to walk through, I think... Or amenities are closed. Yeah, exactly. Then I think you have to probably consider discounting at that point and you have to say up front, hey, this is what we're doing, but here's what you get in exchange for that inconvenience. I, I prefer not to do it that way because I still think you get end up with disgruntled people. But um, those are really the two options. You can either discount or increase and do it floor by floor. That's my preference is increase, do it floor by floor. And then knowing that when you come out of the renovation, there's a couple of opportunities. One, if you've renovated your property, you can go to TripAdvisor and scrub the reviews and say that we need to start from scratch. So any issues you've had during that period can can go away from a public perception perspective. Um, but two, you now have, have an opportunity to have an AI, a higher ADR after the renovation. And you can run on competitive keywords that you couldn't before. So we've got a client that we're running on new rooms in you know, Myrtle Beach or wherever it is. And they're able to get very high return for those kind of keywords because people see the value in having those clean rooms. We also have, this is another way to do it. We have one client that we're working with that is going from a flag property to a non-flag property while they renovate, they're doing a temporary not brand while they renovate, and then when the renovation's done, they're gonna change the, the brand again to another independent brand, right? So it's it's kind of like they've gone from, I, I'm not even gonna say, say it was a Hilton, right? They've gone from a Hilton to the Hotel X while they renovate. Once the Hotel X has been renovated, then they come the Hotel Y. And that kind of mitigates some of the risks of the negative impact that you're going to have when you're doing the renovation as well. So it's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's complicated. I think, uh, you know, my advice, cause they're looking for a definitive answer is no one really knows. I think your individual property is going to be somewhat unique based on, you know, repeat guests, what their expectations are that are coming, um, what your destination is, what your current ADR is. There's a lot of factors. I think experiment with it. I think see how high you can push the ADR during that period. Again, if you're not going to disrupt, but yeah, otherwise just have fun with the experimentation. And I tell you what, it's going to look killer on your resume if you do a really good job during this, because it's it's a challenging situation that some people don't ever go through in their whole career. So if you get to do it, and you can wear that badge of honor, it might help you with future opportunities as well. Career advice here at the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs> the Fuel Job Advisory Board Podcast. So that's episode 103 in the bag. Um, hopefully you, you got something from it. If you, like the person that just we answered that question, have questions for us, you can always submit them by info at fueltravel.com or on Twitter at fueltravel. You can get today's notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 103 and... Bill, where can they find you on the webs? I can find me on Twitter at P Fariska, P F O R I S K A. And Melissa. I'm on Twitter at M A Cavanaugh, M A K A V A N A G H. And you can find me at Stuart Butler. Again, you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs>
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve.